7.33, tech giants, namely Google, Facebook and Amazon, have become too giant and powerful. And they're exacerbating problems facing the US economy as they continue to grow and take over a large part of it. That's the argument of Jonathan Taplin, author of Move Fast and Break Things, and Director Emeritus, University of Southern California's Annenberg Innovation Lab. He now joins us on the line. Thank you very much for taking part in the show today. Good to be here. Uh, I, I should point out that one of your other fascinating titles is as a former tour manager for Bob Dylan, as well as the band, which sounds like an amazing conversation for another day. Um, but <laughs> in these areas of interest, as an academic, you have done a lot to uh, expose the potential problems related to tech dominance, even saying that Google's as close to a monopoly as the Bell telephone system was in 1956. Can you just elaborate for us your, your overview here? Well, the Internet was originally conceived as a, a very decentralized system. And, but what's happened in the last 10 years is that it's become incredibly centralized. At least in the United States, Google, Facebook, and Amazon completely dominate the categories in which they're in. So Google has 88% market share of all search and search advertising Facebook and its associated companies, WhatsApp and Instagram, have 75% of mobile social media. And Amazon controls about 75% of the book business on e-commerce and maybe 50% of the rest of the e-commerce business. So these companies are now the largest companies in the world. They, they in by market cap and this is a relatively fast thing. And what's happened, of course, is that as they suck up all the advertising money and most of the e-commerce money, the people who are actually creating products, that is, journalists, musicians, filmmakers, are getting less and less money out of these businesses, and more and more money is staying in the, these monopoly platforms. What can actually be done about that? When we look at the Bell telephone system that you highlighted back in the 1950s, can we look at what was achieved in the past as, as a model to follow? Well, ultimately, one could deal with Google in the same way we dealt with the Bell telephone system. We could say that it's a utility, a public utility, and that is that any citizen needs to have access to Google in order to survive in the modern age. Uh, President Trump's counselor, Steve Bannon, floated that idea last week. And so if you wanted to reach that conclusion, then Google needs to be regulated like a utility, and that would mean that, for instance, as in the situation with the Bell system in the 1950s, they would have to license all of their intellectual property for free to other competitive companies. That would be their search algorithms or their uh, autonomous car patents or all of the thousands of other patents that they hold, which they're using to uh, keep their monopoly. Uh, that is one potential solution. There are other perhaps less punitive solutions, such as, what the European Union did 
three weeks ago in finding Google $2.7 billion and telling them that they had to change the way they favored their own products over competitors' products in the search part of their business. So there are many ways that this could change, but the fact remains that in the United States, in the last year, Google and Facebook and their associated companies took 90% of all new advertising business online. And that's just not sustainable. That means that everybody else had to deal with 10% of the, the advertising money. One of the um, factors here that I can't ignore, though, is that these companies... There might be conditions behind the scenes and in their foundation that explains how they became so powerful, but they, they seem to remain powerful because they're so popular. They're convenient to use. I mean, there are other search <coughs> engines that all of us can go to, but Google just remains very user-friendly and familiar. Uh, likewise, Amazon, a great shopping platform. Uh, Facebook, a very easy way to connect with people we know and love. Once you know, In other words, once you've got that monopoly, it it continues to propagate itself because of its popularity. Well, that's why you have to deal with it like it's a utility. I mean, quite frankly, there aren't real alternatives to any of these platforms. In in the United States, a, a small company called Snapchat tried to get into competition with Facebook and offered some very innovative uh, ideas called Snapchat stories where you could draw on pictures of people and everything. And it got quite popular. It got up to about 150 million users. And then Facebook offered to buy them for $3 billion. Mm. They turned Facebook down and Facebook eventually just ripped off everything they did. And now it's called Snapchat story of uh, Snapchat stories has become Facebook stories or Instagram stories and everything. And Snapchat stock went from $28 down to $13. So, you know, when you have a, the market power that these companies exercise, whether it's the way Amazon controls the book business or the way Google controls the advertising business, that has a, a problem for society. And yes, I agree, they're convenient. But we're also trading some things off. I mean, obviously, in the United States, none of the fake news that changed the whole nature of the presidential election last year could have happened if it hadn't been for Snapchat, I mean, for Facebook and Google. So these platforms need to have some way that they can be controlled and regulated. I mean, another platform which might be of particular interest to you is, is YouTube, which also falls now under that Google banner. But um, you, 10 years before YouTube, established one of the first video-on-demand <coughs> streaming services. Was the world not quite ready for it then? Because obviously it was a great idea. Um, yeah, I mean, we were probably a little bit too early. Broadband didn't come as fast as we had hoped. I mean, obviously, if, if we'd been building it in Korea, it might have been more successful because broadband came a lot faster in Korea than it came in in the uh, United States. But 
you know, we also had problems with uh, motion picture studios asserting monopoly control and eventually had to sue them all in antitrust. So I'm, I'm well aware of the problems that you deal with. Now, YouTube's prominence right now is for musicians is totally problematic. No musician is able to get their content off of YouTube if they don't want it there. So all of the world's music is available on YouTube for free. And musicians can't get them removed. They can ask for YouTube to take it down, and they, they take it down, and then it can go up the next day from another user. So the offer that YouTube makes to the music business is your content is going to be on our platform whether you want it or not. Mm. Only question you have to ask yourself is do you want some advertising money or not? And and that's not a fair bargain. And, of course, it also keeps the music business from building a sustainable streaming platform on platforms like Apple Music or Spotify or others. Yeah, I, I um, reached a point personally where I subscribed to one of those paid accounts because I, I think for a long time, like others, I was probably abusing that YouTube system. Do, do you urge us as consumers to be responsible in that way or is that just simply too idealistic uh, when, when these services are out there? <clears throat> well, look, I urge people to use the paid platforms because musicians ultimately need to be supported. If you think about it, if a musician had a million downloads from iTunes, they could make $900,000. They have a million streams on YouTube, they'd make $900. I mean, that's not a sustainable living. I mean, you think about a million streams, that's a big hit. And you only make $900 off a big hit? That's absurd. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think... You know, content has to be paid for. Newspapers need subscribers. Uh, all this stuff of that information wants to be free is not going to work out in the long term. Now, coming back to the the general issue here of of these dominating tech giants, uh, if we were to to see that dominance altered in some way, or indeed if they were to be considered a, a public utility. What about the concern that, that they would have far less of an incentive to, to continue their technological advancements, uh, far less of a, a business drive? Well, look, there is this trope out there that antitrust leads to less innovation. But I would argue that the history of the antitrust business leads to more innovation. So, for instance, you had a monopoly phone company, AT&T, in the United States in the 50s. When that was sued by the government and AT&T had to license all of its Bell Labs patents to everyone for free, that included the transistor, the laser, the satellite, the solar cell, the, you know, most of the great innovations of the digital age. And so those were all licensed to free and created a whole bunch of new companies like Texas Instruments, Motorola, Fairchild Semiconductor, ComSat, 
you know, and so there was a huge explosion. Then you had in the 70s, you had IBM, which was a monopoly computer maker. And the government sued IBM. Eventually, IBM decided that it would be smarter for them to not bundle software and hardware and allow, when they made the personal computer, allow two young guys named Bill Gates and Paul Allen to make the software. And so that created a whole nother explosion of new companies come out of Microsoft. Mm. And then finally, Microsoft got so big that the government sued Microsoft because Microsoft wanted everybody who used Windows to use Internet Explorer as their browser. And needless to say, the government fought that and got Microsoft to untie the browser from the operating system, and that allowed Google to come into the space and a whole other wave of innovation to come because Microsoft was not the dominant player. So my argument is that antitrust usually leads to great waves of innovation. And I'd just like to ask as well whether whether you feel that we need to you know, keep these businesses in check for another reason, that they are at the forefront, for example, of developing artificial intelligence in the coming years. And we know there's been this big debate between Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Elon Musk, uh, with the latter expressing some reservations about AI, uh, suggesting Mark Zuckerberg doesn't truly understand what he's doing there. Um, but then again, there's a second part of that question, which is, well, which governments get to decide um, how they develop AI? Well, look, I must say I side with Musk on this question. I think AI needs to be regulated. It's very clear to me that the companies that dominate the Internet right now, that is Google, Amazon, and Facebook, will be the dominant force in artificial intelligence because AI is a kind of virtuous circle business where you get more data, you create a better product, you create a better product, you get more data, you get more money, you get more money, you are able to hire the best scientists, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So, I mean, the companies that are running the great cloud businesses right now, which are Amazon and and Google, are doing that because they, are, they have the most elaborate artificial intelligence systems today. Mm. My guess is they will end up expanding into many other sectors, whether that's Google in transportation and medical services or whether it's Amazon coming to dominate all the functions of the retail economy. Uh, it wants to buy a, the big supermarket chain here. It will expand into many other parts of the retail economy. Um, so I think... Before these companies end up completely controlling this new business sector, we need some regulation, which is what Elon Musk is saying. Because also, let's be clear, it is inevitable that artificial intelligence and robotics will lead to unemployment problems on a scale that we've never seen before. Jonathan Taplin, uh, we've got to leave said, it there because we are out of time. But it, okay. it's been really fascinating here from you. Uh, what a, a history as well. 
tour manager for Bob Dylan, starting up a, a video streaming service a decade before YouTube came about. Uh, also a former Merrill Lynch investment banker. The list goes on, but author of Move Fast and Break Things, if anyone wants to check that out. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Bye-bye.